Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Hi, Rose Vinny. Hi, listeners. Today I have Dr. Danny Brazel. Did I say Brazel, right? Brazel. Brazel. It's fine. Brazel. Oh, you, you kind of you gave a little bit of a, a little back to it, Brazel. <laughs> it's easy to remember how to spell, Vinny. It's spelled like bras cell. No, I never took, I never took any uh, grief over that as a child. Yeah, I imagine so. So you've written, what's it, 13, 14 books? 16. Sweet 16. 16. Oh, my gosh, man. First, it's, yeah. I'm messing up the name, and now I'm messing up you know the number. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, it's fine. I'm writing number 17 right now. It's actually really cool. I'm very excited about what I'm writing right now. When do you think you'll get to, to 20? Uh, gosh, that's that's great. I actually like that question because you kind of challenged me. You laid down the gauntlet. <laughs> I guess I better get on it. Uh, within five years, I'll promise you within five. I usually, I'm usually i at about a book a year right now. Do you feel that um, every time you write a book, you get better at the process? That, definitely. Most definitely. And it's, it's interesting. So when I work with... Uh, uh, I since I've written so many books, people are like, well, how do you write a book? And so now I'll, I'll do seminars with people on how to uh, get your books uh, written and published. And I've re I've worked with five publishing companies. Uh, and then I've also self published and there's pros and cons to both processes. But I, I love, I love where I'm at right now. Uh, you know, that's what I tell people is your message matters. And uh, there's so many opportunities for you to publish your work right now. You, you need to I think it was Toni Morrison that said, if the book that you've wanted to read isn't out there, then you need to write it. And so uh, the books that I'm writing, the last book I wrote was called Leadership Begins with Motivation, which is kind of an homage to, to Paul Harvey. Did you, did you grow up listening to Paul Harvey, Vinny? No. Sorry. Yeah, Paul Harvey, he died a couple of years ago at the age of 325 years old. Uh, I, I'd always listen to him every day at 1215. He'd come on. He's like, I'm Paul Harvey with the rest of the story and he'd tell you like this five minute story and the whole time you're trying to figure out who's he talking about and then you're like, oh, that's a cool story. Uh, and so I wanted to write a book like that but I wanted it to be updated because uh, I, I've spent the last 25 years uh, teaching students of all ages when I'm reading to students. Uh, they used to always love those Paul Harvey stories but a lot of those stories are about like uh, the founders of Sears. Well. You know, no kids today know what Sears is. So, you know, I was just reading, um, I was doing one um, yesterday with a, a, a group. Um, let's see, this was on, um, you'll see, if you, we'll see when you can figure out who this is, Vinny. So I say, uh, um, one of the most striking characteristics of highly successful people is their constant curiosity. L. Frank Baum, author of the Wizard of Oz stories, said, no thief, however skillful, can rob one of knowledge and that is why knowledge is the best and safest treasure to acquire. Do you have an insatiable desire to learn more? I know you and all your listeners do, because that's why you have the podcast. The son of an abusive father, one South African boy found his solace in books. From a very young age, he seemed to have a book in his hand at all times, biographer Ashley Vance writes. It was not unusual for him to read 10 hours a day. If it was the weekend, he could go through two books in a day. As he got older, he would take himself to the bookstore when school ended at 2 p.m. and stay there until about 6 p.m. when his parents returned home from work. He plowed through fiction books and then comics and then nonfiction titles. 
At one point, he ran out of books to read at the school library in the neighborhood library, so he tried to convince the librarian to order books for him. He started to read the Encyclopedia Britannica and began to realize, realize the vast amount of things out in the world to learn about. After churning through two sets of encyclopedias, the boy turned into a fact factory as he had a photographic memory. His thirst for knowledge would not be quenched, nor his ambition. Fresh out of college in 1995, he founded a dot-com company called Zip2 that he sold to Compaq, making him $22 million. He poured that money into an online bank and, as its largest shareholder, made a small fortune when eBay acquired the bank for $1.5 billion in 2002. Instead of hanging around Silicon Valley and slipping into a funk, he flooded his fortune into three new companies. Elon Musk. During a time in which clean tech businesses went bankrupt with alarming regularity, he built two of the most successful clean tech companies in the world. In fact, his empire of factories, tens of thousands of workers, and willingness to push the envelope has turned him into one of the wealthiest men in the world. The online bank he sold was called PayPal. He used those earnings to invest in three companies that are each now worth over a billion dollars, SolarCity, Tesla, and SpaceX. And the abused boy who found comfort in books and fortune in America is a man by the name of Elon Musk. See, Vinny? You got it. You're well, do well done. But that's the, kind of, that's the kind of book I wanted to write. And the book, what, what was interesting, Vinny, is after I wrote this book, it was kind of bizarre to me, completely unintentionally, when I reread it, I'm like, wait a sec. So many of these books, so many of the stories in this book are about white guys from America. And so the book I'm writing right now focuses a lot more on minorities, women, and international stories, because I think kids, you know, I, I work a, a lot with uh, schools in Africa and India and Pakistan, and I'm like, whoa, these kids need to see uh, people that, uh, you know, I think all of us need to see a person, you know, there, there's a little kid out there looking at you right now, Vinny, being like, wow, I can be just like Vinny someday. I mean, that's, that's tremendous power. That's what we have as adults. All of us our teachers and role models. And, uh, you know, and that's why I love things like your podcast, Vinny, because you're really supporting the world in a positive manner. In a time when there's so much negativity out there and people love to get on their social media and type the most negative things possible, you're doing something that actually pushes us forward. So thank you for all that you do. I appreciate you. A question. Now, you're a teacher. You talked about your, and we're going to enter history of teaching. Where do you feel that you make more of a difference? You also do speaking. Do you feel it more in the people that read your books or the, the people that actually go to your, your seminars, go to your events? Do you, do you feel the difference? Is there a difference in how they're taking that knowledge that you're providing? Well, one of my, that's a great question, Benny. One of my mentors was uh, a guy by the name of Zig Ziglar who's passed on. And he used to say something I loved. He said, uh, motivation is like bathing. It's temporary. That's why we suggest you do it regularly. And while I can pump anybody up at, a, at an event, uh, it's books and CDs and DVDs that people go to again and again that really change their lives. And so yeah, actually most of the audience for my, my products usually comes from people that have seen me speak. And while I can get them pumped up on the speech, it's them sitting there and going through the repetition all the time and constantly, uh, you know, even as a teacher, I used to always tell my students, sometimes you need somebody else to believe in you before you believe in yourself. I believe in all of you because they only give me the best and the brightest. When you have people telling you that all the time, because I, my wife is from Singapore. She grew up in the most negative environment possible, Vinny. Whereas I, 
<laughs> I have a photograph of me when I was four years old wearing space boots, a San Diego Chargers jersey, a sheriff's badge, and a fireman's helmet because I was going to be the first ever astronaut, professional football player, police officer, and firefighter. That's the world I grew up in. And I want every kid to grow up in that world and look at the possibilities. I mean, we live in the greatest country on the planet, as far as I'm concerned. There are opportunities here that most of us take for granted. Uh, and that's why you see so many immigrants succeed in America, because they don't take those opportunities for granted. Uh, and when I, I listen to people debating about immigration, I'm like, well, if you get rid of immigration, you might as well just say goodbye to Silicon Valley, because every single startup came from an immigrant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... You can't know the the great without the bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, you need those things to remember. Because I think for most of us, we go away from the idea of fear, right? We go idea we go away from the idea of pain, and then it's over time you start going towards basically pleasure, right? So if we see that pain where we came from or that negativity, you go, I don't want to be there. That's why I'm going to do X, Y, and Z or give that extra effort. So I know I totally agree with you. Uh, talking about that that younger self, Danny, uh, is it okay if I say Danny or should I say Doctor Danny? Danny. Danny. <laughs> Danny, is it uh, going to that younger self, that four-year-old self, and, and growing up, did you want to be a teacher? Did you want to help out other people? Who were you at a young age? So I wanted to be president of the United States. <laughs> I, I don't desire that job anymore. I don't know why. I, actually, I think the way we should vote, Vinny, it should be the eighth caller to the radio station. That should be the president, <laughs> the governor, the senator. I think we'd be much better off. Um, what I found, uh, I was actually, uh, I was in a car accident. I was a bicyclist and in eighth grade, a drunk driver hit me on my bicycle. And so I couldn't walk for a couple of years. And, uh, so I couldn't play football anymore. They told me I'd never play football again. Eventually I, I wound up, uh, becoming an all state football player. So don't let anybody tell you what you can't do. But when I couldn't play sports, I started acting and speaking and I realized, wow, I really love entertaining people. And so, um, when I went to uh, college, my undergraduate, to pay for a lot of my tuition, I did stand-up comedy in uh, strip clubs, and I, I just loved it. <laughs> I was in Washington, D.C., and I do my, – my agent always booked me in all-black strip clubs in Anacostia. And then when I moved out to L.A., uh, I did more uh, stand-up comedy. But I, I, I found teaching was great because I have an, an attentive audience every single day. Um, I kind of fell into teaching. I was a uh, – I had the greatest job in the world. I was working for a, an organization where I got to meet every major uh, newspaper publisher in America. And I, I got offered all these jobs to be a journalist doing city beats in different cities. And uh, one major newspaper offered me a job doing the city beat for $16,500 a year. And then a friend told me about uh, teaching positions available in Compton in South Central Los Angeles for $25,200 a year. So I always tell people, I became an educator for the noblest of reasons, for the high pay. And uh, it turned out I loved it. I, uh, I loved it. And what killed me, what made me leave, um, it wasn't the kids. I always loved the kids. And I liked most of the parents. But it was just the bureaucracy, uh, you know, the negativity. We see that all the time. And I don't want to be around that negativity and bureaucrats telling you, well, you know, you, you need to submit this. <laughs> so I, I, I'll give you an example. I just, I just injured my finger. I don't usually go to, I haven't been to a hospital actually since my accident in eighth grade. And uh, so I, I went to the hospital. I'm, I'm basically bleeding to death and they're making me fill out forms. And I'm like, gosh, 
I want to refilm all the old Little House on the Prairies when Laura gets hurt and goes to the doctor. I want her bleeding, filling all these disclaimers and waivers of her rights as she's in the waiting room. I'm like, it shouldn't be that difficult. And that's why I love what I do is, you know, nothing can get in my way. I used to build uh, school libraries in Compton and then classroom libraries, and they couldn't do anything about it because I was just giving it to them for free. I mean, I'm just going to build it. If I had to go through a government agency, they still wouldn't be built. Uh, you know, everything's uh, designed to be slow. I just like getting things done. Uh, there's there's talkers and there's walkers. I want to be around the walkers and just get stuff done. Let's, I mean, rewind a little bit. I think the stand-up <laughs> comedy in a strip club, I would think that would get you more ready for teaching because kids today, and I think most people today, right, have a short attention span. So if you're trying to tell a joke to people where there's a lot of women maybe naked out there, you have to keep their attention and be purely precise with your your comedy, I would think. Yeah, yeah, it, it gives you a backbone, Vinny, that's for sure. And, and you're absolutely right, as you learn. It was the same thing with my teaching is when I first started, I've taught all grade levels and I started by teaching uh, 12th grade social studies and then they switched me from high school to middle school to upper elementary, to lower elementary, to pretty soon, instead of preparing students for college, I was coming home with snot marks all over my pants from my little ones hugging me all day. And I learned what works with a 12th grader does not necessarily work with a kindergartner, but what works with a kindergartner works with all age levels. You know, they have about a seven minute attention span and you have to be good. I always call kindergarten is New York, New York. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere because they, they constantly have to be entertained and engaged. And uh, that's where I really learned how to be a teacher was working with the little ones is being goofy and getting them up out of their seats. And uh, really, you know, it, it's the same thing. I, I'm sure you experience this as a realtor too. I mean, you, you deal with different clientele and some people want to know all the features of the property and some people just want uh, a nice view. I mean, everybody has their own taste and what makes you a good realtor is keeping your mouth shut and listening to what their feedback is and accommodating their needs. And that's what a good teacher does is, and this is the, the challenge of teaching is if you have 33 students, you probably have 33 completely unique uh, learning styles and you have to accommodate those. Yeah, you have to have them self-realize. And like you said, shut up. I mean, I, I, one of my first deals ever, I was like, oh my gosh, this house is horrible. And like, I love it. I was like, oh gosh, I just should never have said that. Right, yeah. So what, I mean, I would think of adapting and learning how to teach, I mean, kids of all ages, right? Even when you first started, you finally get an understanding of how to teach those kids. You go a little bit younger and your the stuff that worked there didn't work. I mean, what was, what were you dealing with, with the frustration? I mean, how do you deal with frustration in those kind of settings? I was blessed, uh, Vinny. When I was sent to the elementary school, I was the only man at my school and I was the only white person at my school. I taught with predominantly elderly African-American women from the South who all had been teaching for at least 20 years. And my mentor was Mrs. Turner. Mrs. Turner was from Alabama. She, she had been teaching for 40 years and she believed in two things, discipline and the Bible. When her little ones got out of line, she started reading aloud revelations to them. And it was that beautiful woman who took me under her wing and she was my guardian angel. You know, when I had 
administrator. I had one administrator and that guy would come into my classroom and announce to my students that I was the worst teacher ever. I mean, he was just killing me. And it was this beautiful woman who said, no, you got to shut your door and you need to do it your way. And, uh, she, they, all of us need that person, you know, Rocky needed Mickey in his corner. All of us need that person in our corner. I'm sure it's you, with your real estate company. That's what you, you know, Vinny's in your corner. You know, I'm, I'm trying to find the place that, that suits you. I mean, even if that house looked trashy to you, if it's, if it's another person's treasure, then, uh, that's what you focus on is whatever works with them. even with teaching kids how to read uh people always there's a debate that's been going on in higher education you got people over here that the they believe the way you teach a kid how to read is ah, ah, alligator ball cat because that's the way we all speak you know and then you got the people over here that believe the way you teach a kid how to read is oh baby i want you to take this book home put it under your pillow and when you wake up, you'll know how to read. And I'm being facetious because we know if you want to learn how to read, knowing the sounds of some of the blend, the letter blends is somewhat helpful. And having opportunities to read for fun is somewhat helpful. But we know what we what it really takes is a balanced approach. And this is what, again, this gets to this exact same point. As a teacher, I've learned if a kid loves to sit there and just do phonics worksheets all day, what should I do? Give them phonics worksheets. If a kid loves to sit in the corner and read on her own, which I do, letter. School was built for them, not for me. I mean, I'm not, when I'm teaching reading, I'm not a hooked on phonics guy because I stuttered as a child. I mean, they were trying to get me hooked off phonics. I'd be like, ball. They're like, no, it's just ball. I'm like, but I can honestly say I've taught some kids how to, to read using a phonics based approach. It's not my preferred approach. You know, uh, the reason I, th this is something I always share with parents. I'm like, just so y'all know, English is not a phonics-based language. I mean, Spanish is. I can teach anybody how to read in Spanish in six weeks or less. Mame, me, mo, mo, nice and consistent. You look at the symbol A. In, in Spanish, the symbol A makes one sound, ah. In English, ah, ah, a, uh. You know, it makes 18 different sounds. It makes me sound like I'm about to vomit. It's just like you trying to pronounce my last name. I mean, if it was a Spanish last name, I mean, when I look at Enriquez, I know exactly how to pronounce that in English, it could have 28 different pronunciations. I mean, and that's what, when I'm working with parents, Vinny, you know, I, I deal with uh, a lot of second language learner parents. So I'll have a lot of parents, uh, you know, from Mexico and they always are fearful to come into a school because for some reason we don't do a good enough job welcoming people. Uh, it, it really bothers me. And one of the first things I try to break down is there's beauty in all languages. And so, to me, Spanish is a beautiful language. One of the points I like to make to, to audiences, I'm like, okay, let's say something like, uh, let's say Maria is a beautiful girl. In Spanish, how would we say that? In Spanish, we'd say, Maria es una chica hermosa, or bella, or bonita. Um, Spanish, like English, has lots of synonyms. Mm. Now, let's look at the emphasis in both of those sentences. In English, I say, Maria is a beautiful girl. So the emphasis is on the adjective, beautiful. In Spanish, I say, Maria es una chica bonita. The emphasis is on the noun, chica. Spanish got it right. In English, we're more concerned with what she looks like. In Spanish, what's more important is she's a human being. Ah, the noun is more important. <laughs> another, another thing I love about Spanish is if, if I say a question, if I'm reading it as a question in English, I read, Maria is a beautiful girl. 
I got to wait till the end of the sentence to see a question mark. But in Spanish, they give you an upside down question mark right at the beginning. So right from the very beginning, I'm like, Maria, bonita. same thing with an exclamation. In English, I read, Maria is a beautiful girl. I got to wait till the end of the sentence before I know it's an exclamation. But in Spanish, I know right from the very beginning because they give me an ups upside down exclamation point. So I'm like, Maria es una chica bonita, esta sabro gigante. So what I'm really trying to do is I'm trying to get people, maybe it's because when I was a journalist, we're taught to simplify things. I don't like jargon. You hear it in real estate all the time. It's so annoying. You know, I, all jargon is designed to do is to prevent other people from understanding what you're talking about. You know, it's it's very exclusive. I want inclusivity. I want people to feel at home. Um, and just simple things like, you know, you asking me, should I call you Dr. Brissell or Danny? I'm like, call me Danny. You know, I... I, I, I I've had someone on here before where, where they were, they got pretty offended about when I, when I, because we do a pre-talk for everyone listening right now. We do a pre-talk, usually for a little minute, a couple minutes, but we try to get everything lined up so when we actually go on. And I think I said their their name. They're like, well, can you please call me Dr. The Sons? And I was like, all right, fair enough. I'll call you Dr. The Sons. So they're out the whole thing. But yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, to each his own, but I'm I'm comfortable. I know I'm a doctor. That's, I mean, I did the work. I don't need it to be, I don't need it skywritten. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, we're, we usually, I mean, we focus and we're going to get more into, into your journey. Curious. And this might be a very long question, really setting you up. Mm -hmm. you, you said there's a lot of bureaucracy in schools right now. Yeah. Do you think there's maybe not a simple fix, but fixes that can be made now that would make the school system, the United States school system better? Well, that's a great question, Vinny, and, and it's a very complicated question. Um, I can tell you that. I know a lot about education and I don't know how to fix it. And so when I hear politicians from either side claim that they know how to fix it, I'm like, this person has no idea what they're, you know, there's, so people will often ask me, well, what's the solution? Is it private schools? Is it public schools? Is it magnet schools? Is it charter schools? Is it homeschool? And my answer is yes. Again, what works for this kid might not necessarily work for this kid. I mean, I've been to schools all around the world. I've observed over 11,000 classrooms. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that uh, what works in South Bay, San Diego might not work in North County, San Diego. And what works in North County might not work in San Antonio, Texas, or uh, where I just was, Madison, Wisconsin. You know, uh, it was cracking me up. Uh, a friend of mine is the uh, Secretary of Education of uh, the state of Wisconsin. And he was talking, he was boasting about their, their test scores. And I said, uh, well, that's great. But just so you know, there are few students, fewer students in Wisconsin, the state, than there are in the Los Angeles Unified School District. Mm -hmm. um, there are currently four different languages identified in the state of Wisconsin. In uh, Los Angeles, it's uh, it's in the hundreds. I was doing an ESL training in North Carolina, and this teacher came up to me afterwards. She's like, what you don't understand, Danny, is that uh, I teach in a Title I school, and <laughs> I'm the only person who can speak Spanish. And I just started laughing at her, and she's like, why are you laughing? I'm like, honey, almost every school in Southern California is Title I. And for your, for your viewers and listeners, Title I means... Uh, uh, lower income students, uh, that, uh, free and reduced lunch. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, 
And in Southern California, you'll be lucky to get two or three kids that speak English in your class. I mean, I, I, and I just said, I want you to, to have a different perspective. I mean, your students speak Spanish and English. I'm working with a teacher in Hollywood right now. She has 20 first graders, 19 different languages. I mean, that's a challenge. <laughs> You know, and so, but that's all of us need perspective on that. And it, for me, I love that. Is to me, it's the challenge that I have very, you know, they call it attention deficit disorder. When I was a kid, it was called curiosity. I just like learning about. That's why I love doing podcasts. And oh, I get to meet Vinny and learn all about Vinny. And I, I love. And I know that's why you do the podcast. You're like, wow, this is cool. I get to meet people and learn things. Uh, I'm always fascinated by that, and I'm fascinated by. Uh, how kids learn. I'm like, huh, that kid, this doesn't work, but this worked. And that's fascinating. I'm like, oh, and, the, and just when I think I have the answer, I'm like, oh, it doesn't work with all at all with this kid. So the very long answer to your very short question is uh, there's no quick fix to the schools. Um, what I do believe that all of us can do is have a little bit of appreciation uh, for teachers. Um, you know, hopefully one of the benefits of the global pandemic is that millions of parents uh, were forced to involuntarily homeschool their kids and realize how difficult it is to work with their kids. Now I just want them to envision working with 33 kids of different backgrounds in the class. Uh, let's give a little bit more respect to the teachers. Uh, and yeah, really, Vinny, more than anything, my, my mission right now is for people just to be a little bit kinder. I mean, people are just rude now. And I, you know, I can't control other people, but I can control me. And uh, I, I tell that to my students. I'm like, you don't have to be American Idol to make a difference. You need to learn how to say please and thank you, hold the door open for others, and tell your mother that you love her. It's the simple things that make the greatest impact. Um, you know, so it's no quick fix. Um, I actually love that people are always asking the question, though, Benny, is that we should be striving to get better all the time. And uh, one, of the th one of the reasons I do what I do is – you know, I was just in a beautiful school and I told the teachers, I'm like, just so you, I want you to appreciate how beautiful this school is because not every school in America is like this. I mean, I, I've taught in schools with metal detectors and bars on the windows and it's like a prison. I'm like, every kid deserves a good school, not a bad school. And until I see the fair opportunities for all kids, uh, I'm going to be on my soapbox. <laughs> no, I, 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 yeah, I totally agree. I mean, an idea that I've thrown out to other people is more about um, uh, uh, college education, right? Mm -hmm. The idea of free education, right? But I think the idea of free education should only be if if you give a year of your of your life of some kind of nonprofit, free service, Peace Corps, whatever it might be, but then you get X amount for a free college, something like that. So we get the ability, because I, I, I know it's changed a lot now, yet there was a crazy stat about 10 years ago where it was only like 15% or 20% had passports. People in the U.S. had passports. Yeah. So in how it, I think once you see other countries, see where other people come from, it allows you to see more about who you are and why you should be grateful for what you have. Yeah, amen. Uh, I'll be your Baptist in the front row, Vinny. I, I, I've said that for years, that uh, for higher education, there's no reason a person that wants to go to college shouldn't have that ability. And I completely agree with you. Uh, I'll pay for your bachelor's degree and you're going to pay me back by either teaching in the inner city or working at a senior center in Nebraska or planting trees in Idaho. There's no reason we couldn't have a domestic Peace Corps. I mean, and in the grand scheme of things, the cost of such a program would be so minimal. It would be less than 
I, I, I bet you it would cost less than uh, a tenth of the percent of the, the defense budget we have in this country. I mean, and, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the things I tell people is if we just got rid of standardized testing in America, that would save us $5 billion and we could reinvest that money in school libraries, PE teachers, music programs, art programs, counselors. I swear we find out whatever kids like and we make sure to get rid of it from the schools and we find out what kids hate and we mandate it so they have to sit through it every single day. Well, well, let's get back to, to to your journey, right? And you've talked about the idea of of tr teaching kids, right? And there's so many ways to teach them and how you have to teach them. But if you go to the kindergarten style, right, you can teach the masses. Now, when you're writing books and giving speaking engagements, I'm, I'm assuming you can change your speaking engagements a little bit to better accommodate those communities you're teaching in. Yet for your books, there's not a lot of change to it. So do you look at it that I'm teaching a kindergartner or how do you make sure that you're providing enough information that everyone can can take nuggets away from it? Yeah, that's a good question. You, and it's a really good tip for authors is you should figure out who your audience is. And so the, the last book I did, the leadership book, I'm like, no, I want to get to a broader audience. I want this to be something that uh, corporate executives can read on a plane ride from a, a cross country plane trip. But I also want a parent to be able to read this uh, to their kid uh, before they go to bed. When I, I taught, uh, eighth grade special education. It was not special education, Vinny. It was 16 boys that nobody else wanted to teach. Eight African-American, eight Latino. And if their life wasn't miserable enough, they got stuck with the white dude as the teacher. And I used to sing with them all the time. And they'd be like, man, I hate this song, man. You know, I hate singing every day, man. You, you wore that jacket yesterday, man. You know, middle schoolers always get personal. And then the one day we don't sing, they're like, when are we singing, man? You know, and uh, uh, just getting through and I, I actually can make an argument for every single grade level, why I love every single grade level. Middle school, the reason I love middle school is the kids always look like they resent you. But when we think about the teacher that had the greatest impact on our lives, it's usually a middle school teacher. Uh, you'll hear, you know, I'll, I'll tell a kid, I'm like, hey, Tyrell, you're a really good writer. I bet you you become an author someday. You know, and then 20 years from now, Tyrell's won the Pulitzer Prize. I remember Mr. Bissell told me I'd be a writer. <laughs> you know, but it, you need to encourage kids. I mean, how many kids are we losing? Because nobody, you're a reader, Vinny. I know this. This cracks me up. I read biographies of famous people all the time. And what drives me nuts is the common theme in almost all of these biographies is the person dropped out of school. <laughs> what are we doing wrong? I mean, you look at uh, Elon Musk was bullied. Why didn't somebody step in there? I, I always tell that to teachers. I'm like, you know, Sandy Hook was because of me. Columbine was because of me. I'll tell you why. These school shootings, they have a common element. It's loners. Like when I see a lone kid, my job as a teacher is to find them a friend. You know, it's, it's a whole, it's tough in this world if you're alone. You, all of us, there's no self-made person. That's the biggest crock I've ever heard. Everybody needs somebody to support them. I've been blessed with tons of wonderful mentors in my life. I've been blessed with people that hated me in my life that were that that and but their their disdain for me and and the rotten treatment actually pushed me to go further i mean so it's just always uh learning so i, I guess that doesn't really answer your question Vinny. i mean when i'm writing a book i'm actually just looking at the audience i mean a lot of my books 
our books that your audience wouldn't read, they're very specific for teachers. Uh, well, here's a book on how to teach a kid how to comprehend more of what they read. Um, uh, then I'll have like a parenting book or a, a book for uh, teachers of English language learners. But now I'm starting to write more of the books I want to write, which are uh, what can I, I do to put a smile on a person's face every single day? How can I give them some stories uh, uh, that'll shake them up a little bit? Uh, the, the I was watching this horrible show on TV the other night called um, The News, and it put me in a really negative attitude. And I'm like, my wife always asks, you know, you and I were talking about San Diego Padres before we went on. And I, my wife's like, why are you so into sports? I'm like, because at any moment, something extraordinary can happen. I mean, I was watching the Green Bay, uh, Arizona game, and it ended on a play. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I've watched 3,000 football games. I have never seen a game end on that kind of play where they're, you know, Arizona was driving to score the game-winning touchdown. They threw an interception. <laughs> that was the most ridiculous play I've ever seen. And I'm like, wow. Um, that's why I love the Olympics, man. How do you not love the Olympics? Uh, I get so into the Olympics on the backstories of the athletes that it drives my wife crazy because I usually root against America. And she's like, why are you rooting against America? I'm like, honey, who am I going to root for? The American guy with the microchip in his Nikes or the barefoot Sudanese refugee who just survived a civil war and the backstory on him is like, oh, I learned how to run when I was running away from the bullets. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I love this guy. <laughs> you know, it's so inspiring. So uh, I, I think, mo mo and I think most of us, contrary to public, even people that are jerks, the reason they're jerks is they've just been surrounded by a lot of jerks. I think if you start surrounding people with much more positive things, it, get, it gets us all to pay attention. I was on a, a podcast recently, and it was a political podcast, and they were going negative. And I, I stopped the interview. I said, okay, we're going to just stop for a second, and here's the ground rules. We don't talk like that. And it was amazing how everybody on the panel changed, and they were respectful the rest of the interview. I said, no, no. We're going to make a rule. This is we can disagree. That's fine. I mean, it's fine to to disagree with one another, but you have to be respectful of one another. The problem in this country is people are disagreeable, and that's different. You know, you don't want it. You don't need to be rude to make your point. You can, you and I can disagree on something, and we can be respectful of one another. I think for most things that we talk about, the most things that people fight about, if you were to chunk up right to a higher level of it we'd find a commonality between the two. It's just a matter of how we perceive of how we should get from point A to point B. I want to go this direction, this direction. And instead of looking at, hey, we both want to go to point B, we're going, but oh, we want to go this direction. I want to go this direction. And now it's just a big fight and don't listen to the rest of it. So I totally agree with you. You've changed my mind, Vinny. You've got my vote. We don't have to do it. Through <laughs> you've got my vote. I love it. I mean, I, I just think common sense is not common practice. Common courtesy is not common practice. We just, uh, in, when you travel around the world, I mean, I was speaking, I'm a, I'm a visiting distinguished professor at the American University in Cairo. So right before the pandemic, uh, I, was in, I was in Egypt doing presentations and I spoke at a lot of Muslim schools and I was a, kind of intimidated. I'm like, huh, I've never been to a Muslim school. And so I, I researched uh, Islam. I read the Quran and stuff. I'm like, okay, I need to learn my stuff. And I, spoke, I did a parent training at two in the afternoon, Vinny. 400 parents showed up at two in the afternoon for a training and it was like the Muslim Brotherhood. All the guys had the long beards and all the women were in burqas and we were talking like you and I are talking right now. And I thought to myself, shame on me. I had a lot of preconceptions and these people are great. And 
I started off my presentation. I said, I was reading this book. Have any of you ever read the Quran? And everybody laughed. I'm like, oh, well, then you know the story when the angel Gabriel appears to Muhammad in the cave. What's his first instruction of Muhammad? Because the first pillar of Islam is to read. And so I looked at everybody and said, so not only should we get your kids reading, it's actually written in your holiest of texts. It's your duty to get your kids reading. And the entire audience starts doing this. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is my dream audience. And ever since then, I've been speaking all to all these Muslim schools. I'm like, oh my gosh, who would have ever thought? But I wouldn't, you know, there's a great quote that uh, I don't know who to attribute it to. So I'll, I'll, I'll attribute it to the great Greek philosopher Anonymous. Uh, once said that your mind is like a parachute. It works a whole lot better when it's open. And I try to be open to things. Um, uh, you know, I, I, that's why I love listening to you. Some of your ideas, Vinny, I'm like, man, we need you in education. Uh, <laughs> we, we do, because it's like people get, I, I, I deal with a lot of jaded people, and I understand why they're jaded, because they've been beaten up. They've been beaten up for years, and now they're just becoming cynical, and, and that's where you have to get away. Once you start becoming cynical, you're not going to, I've never read a biography of a successful person that was a cynic. You know, that can't work. Well, I've never heard of a person that got anything to work that had that attitude. <laughs> You've talked about the, the the idea that you had a mentor when you were as a teacher, right? And you, yep. um, and I'm I'm assuming you had probably other mentors in other walks of life. Have you gone there, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think today we have a lot of fake celebrities, social media celebrities, social media mentors. How do you protect yourself from being open to listening to those people, yet also protect yourself to see if you're actually getting good nuggets? That's man, that's a good, uh, real good question, Vinny. I mean, uh, well, all of your listeners, the one book I tell everybody they have to read besides one of my books is uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, uh, written, I think, back in the 1930s. He came up with the idea of the mastermind, where you surround yourself with a panel of mentors, of teachers, and he included people that he doesn't actually necessarily uh, meet. So you don't have to have ever met Abraham Lincoln to read what Abraham Lincoln wrote and to get into his mindset. I mean, I was just discussing yesterday. Have you ever read the, the book uh, Long Walk to Freedom, Vinny, by Nelson Mandela? Uh, I mean, that book is unbelievable. I mean, Nelson Mandela. So this is a true story. Mandela, you know, he's been in prison for 20, I think it's 27 years in South Africa for doing something which is a political right here in America, for criticizing his government. So he's in prison for 27 years, gets out of prison, runs for president, he becomes the president of South Africa. And I think there's like about 100,000 whites and like 30 million uh, uh, blacks in South Africa. And the whites are freaking out. They're like, oh no, it's come up and stay. The black man's the president. And one of the first things, Mandela did all these amazing things, but one of the first things he did is cre he created the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, where official government policy was, if you were a white person that had killed a black person during apartheid, you could go in front of a committee of the family of the person that you killed, admit to your crime, apologize, and you were forgiven. That was the government policy. Like you didn't go to prison, you were forgiven. Um, the minister of justice had had like 10 guys killed and he was Christian. And so he thought, well, Mandela asked him to wash the feet of the mothers of the, of the kids he had killed and he washed their feet. And then he became one of the biggest advocates for Mandela. I'm like, oh my gosh, 
this guy's incredible. I mean, who thinks like that? And so I don't have to, I mean, it kills me. I never got to meet Mandela, but I don't have to meet him to, to, for him to mentor me. And how can I become a better person that way? You know, um, if I'm, if I want to become a better, so you're a real estate agent. So I'm going to, I'm going to look at some of the best real estate agents. Uh, one of my favorite speakers, he's, he, I'm sure you know him, is Tom Hopkins. Tom Hopkins has been talking about real estate for 30 years. And uh, he has all kinds of great insights. And what I like about him is he always talks about his first sale in real estate. And it's all the mistakes he made and everything. And, and that's wonderful because he's showing me, and it's a, it's a great lesson for all kids, is that before the person becomes the pariah, they were just like you and me. Everybody, before you're an expert, you're an amateur. And it's those amateur mistakes that you learn from and you can share with others. Uh, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. If I want to learn about real estate, I'm going to do that. Um, when I was writing my leadership book, I'm like, okay, let me look at different leaders around the world um, and figure out well, what, what was it that separated them? How do they think a little bit differently? And I, I just think... That, I, I think it, if you can't get those physical mentors, I, I always wanted to create a nonprofit. I've, I've run a couple of nonprofits, but one of the nonprofits I wanted to create was going to be called Five Mentors, where I found kids in the inner city and I gave them each a coach, a pastor, a parent, an older, a, 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 like an older student. You know, I wanted to give them other people that surround them and encourage them because I believe that iron sharpens iron. You need to surround yourself with people that lift you up, not uh, put you down. Um, and so that's the value of having, and I've been blessed. Uh, I, I make sure I seek people that are going to uh, lift me up and I, I eliminate people that are putting me down. And I, I think that's good advice for all of us because all of us uh, need some encouragement when we're down. And if anyone listening right now hasn't taken the chance to assess who they surround themselves with, take the chance today. I mean, it, it could be one of the most impactful things you do um, and you can do it pretty quick. Uh, protect yourself. Now, if I mean, you've given us a lot of nuggets, Danny. Uh, if people are looking to get more information about your speaking engagement, your books, what's the best way of people finding you? Well, I, I really appreciate you having me on, Vinny, and I want to serve you and your audience. If they go to freereadingtraining.com, again, freereadingtraining.com, I want to give everybody a complimentary copy of my book, Read, Lead, and Succeed. This is a book, I, I wrote it for a principal who didn't know how to uh, keep his uh, faculty uh, positively engaged. So I said, okay, I'll write you a book. And so every week I provide you a concept, an inspirational quote, an inspirational story, a book recommendation on a book you should read, but you're probably too lazy because you're an adult. So I also give you a children's picture book recommendation that demonstrates the same concept. You can read that in five minutes. Uh, and then you'll also get uh, access to, to some trainings that I do with parents. I have, uh, uh, you know, over the last five years, I've created the world's top reading engagement program that uh, uh, gets kids excited about reading. I mean, I, I find schools do an adequate job of teaching kids how to read. But the question I always ask people is, what good is it to know how to read when you don't want to read? I teach people why to read because I've never had to tell a kid, go watch TV. I've never had to tell a kid, go play a video game. And I never want to have to tell a kid, go read a book. I want them to choose to do it on their own because they love it. And so in just over two months, uh, I'll get, you know, it's great. We, the statistics show that our, in just over two months, the kids will be reading about two to three grade levels, two to three grade levels in just two months. They'll be, they'll be reading two to three grade levels higher than they were, which is all fine and good. But what's near and dear to my heart, what's important to me, 
is we get kids to read more, read better, and love reading. I got this kid, Michael. He's my, my I, I need to make him my spokesperson. He was a 10-year-old kid up in, um, in the Valley of Los Angeles, and his he was at the bottom of his third grade class. He was driving his mother crazy. So she enrolled him in our program. And after just uh, 40 days, a little bit over a month in the program, Michael's teacher called his mother and said, well, what medication do you have Michael on? I, like, I, don't, I don't have him on medication. She's like, what are you doing? He's gone from my worst student to my best student in just the last month, which I'm like, oh, that's great. But what made me love Michael was two things. First of all, Michael got so excited about reading, he started a book club with all of his buddies, and now the teacher of this class is winning like every state honor because her kids have the best reading scores in the state. It has nothing to do with the teacher. It cracks me up. But what, what, what really made me love Michael, Michael's mother doesn't speak a word of English. My program are like quick daily videos of me showing parents ways to get their kids reading at home for 20 minutes a day. Michael's mother didn't understand the videos. Michael watched them. I guess I'm still entertaining enough to a little kid. He thought I was funny. And that was so impactful to me. We translated the entire program into Spanish. So now the program's in English and Spanish. And now that we're working with so many Arabic schools, I think we're going to translate it into Arabic and then uh, possibly uh, Tamil for, for our, uh, our schools in India. Um, and so... You know, for all the people out there that are struggling, if you're struggling with a kid, you know, the most important thing is to get kids to love reading. The research is really very clear on this. It doesn't matter what you read. What matters is how much you read. It doesn't matter if you're reading James Joyce or James and the Giant Peach. People who read more read better. The little boy who only reads Captain Underpants is going to be a better reader than the little boy who's not reading anything. Captain Underpants is your gateway to Shakespeare. So if all you want to do is read the sports page, read the sports page. If all you want to do is read People Magazine, read People Magazine. But you aren't going to become a better reader unless you read more. So that's my gift to everybody. And I, I just really appreciate all that you're doing, Benny. Well, I, I appreciate you, Danny. I mean, I know... I was uh, pushed into reading because I got pizza back in the day. Yeah. But, you know, I, I love your way a lot better. It would probably save me around the midsection. So thank you, Danny. Uh, I know I'm going to basically, once we're done here, go to the website. I know it's in the show notes. I'm going to pull it off of there. So if you're listening right now, go to the show notes, get Danny's book, follow his journey, follow his stories. And I mean, if you didn't get excited for reading, you probably weren't listening to the full episode. <laughs> thank you, guys. Please subscribe. Please share. and Go tell your friends. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.